I think that uh, men who are into Star Wars are just the cutest things in the world. So I'm glad that you're using that as an example. Welcome to Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On with Janice Formicella. I'm Janice Formicella, a breakup coach passionate about supporting others to learn from their breakups, overcome loneliness, love being single, and see the end of a relationship as the beginning of a magical, sexy new chapter in life. I am here each week to share with you the tools that I have learned through my own painful breakups, through hitting rock bottom more than once, and through working with people all around the world to heal their broken hearts. If you are looking for hope and strength to move on from your breakup and resources to enjoy your new life, you are in the right place and I've got your back. Welcome to another episode of Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On. I suppose I don't need to say that, given that everyone just listened to my intro. But um, welcome to Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On. Brian, it's so nice to have you back. It's so great to be back, Janice. You have had, a, we've both had crazy years and we've kept in touch somewhat. Uh, I, I will say everyone, when I went through my breakup, Brian sent me what was just the perfect message about that he heard. And if I wanted to chat, he was there for me. And I really appreciated that. It was just like spot on what you would want your friends to do. So we both had lots of upheavals this year. So it's been a while since we recorded together. Can you please let my listeners know what you do and where you want to hang out with them online? Again, I'm Brian Dunn. I am a dating and relationship coach. I help people get past their hangups, their mind mind blocks, their limiting beliefs, and learn the skills to find and keep the kinds of relationships they want, whether that's dating skills, first dates, all the way into defining the relationship and communication and how to keep a strong, healthy relationship going. Uh, people can find me at my website at Brian with an I, Brian C. Dunn, D-U-N-N.com, or I'm on Instagram and TikTok at MR. Mr. Uh, Mr. Brian C. Dunn. And so you can find me and my content there. Please go to the show notes because I will link all of that. Brian is a great coach. And as you will see, he has wonderful insights. Brian has been on the show a few times already. I'm also going to link his episodes, Defining the Relationship, we did ages ago. And then I believe at the beginning of this year, we did co-parenting and dating. And that was one of my favorite episodes maybe that I've done because I had you and I had Katie on from um, co-parenting peacefully. And you both talked about how to date whilst you're co-parenting and the different things that come up with children of different ages and stages of relationships. And it was fantastic. So everybody go hit Brian up on Instagram, hit him up if you want coaching and check out our other episodes. Today, we are talking about feeling triggered. What a hot topic. What a popular topic. What a term that is thrown around like crazy these days. I love to watch Married at First Sight, and I find it a little hilarious sometimes how often I feel triggered is thrown around. And I've experienced it myself. So I'm looking forward to doing this episode. I will share that my intention for this episode is to empower our listeners to recognize and take responsibility for their triggers. I know that some people can lean on them a bit, use them as a bit of a crutch rather than taking responsibility for working through them. And that's partially why I wanted to do this episode today. What about you, Brian? Yeah, I think that's really lovely. I I guess mine would be along the same lines, but self-awareness and knowledge and skills for how to recognize and repair when things do happen, because no relationship is going to be perfect. There's always going to be hiccups or fights or blow-ups or 
letting the steam out of the Instapot, so to speak, because, you know, things get boggled up sometimes or things happen. It's not how perfect it is most of the time. It's how do you handle the hiccups, the bumps in the road? How do, how do you repair those things that come up in the relationship that can make or break lasting, long-term, healthy relationship? Such a lovely point. I mean, we all have things from even our childhoods that will inevitably come up no matter how long-term or healthy the relationship is. So you're right, recognizing and then working through them. Let's first talk about exactly what a trigger is. One of our favorite sources, I know that you love the Gottman Institute, Brian, right? They have something from their website that says, relationship coach Kyle Benson defines a trigger as an issue that is sensitive to our heart, typically something from our childhood or a previous relationship. Triggers are emotional buttons that we all possess. And when those buttons are pushed, we are reminded of a memory or situation from the past. This experience, quote unquote, triggers certain feelings within us and we react accordingly. I don't know if I would say accordingly always, but that's what Gottman Institute says. And now from Psych Central, in psychology, a trigger is a stimulus that causes a painful memory to resurface. A trigger can be a sensory reminder of a traumatic event. It could be a sound, sight, smell, physical sensation, or even a time of day or season. One of the key things is it may trigger the memory, but we don't, we're not thinking about that memory in the moment. We are thinking about the physical reaction our body has to it Mm -hmm. that we had from when that thing happened. So we're not thinking about the thing that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago, but our body remembers that. And so we're having a similar reaction and we may not know that we're being triggered by that past memory, past trauma, whatever in the moments until we kind of settle down and think about, Oh wait, something similar happened back then. I think that's the whole point is it's, it's an overreaction to like something that may be a little bit small in the moment, but because there is that history that we bring to that kind of situation, it becomes a bigger deal in that moment. Well, what just came to mind that I had never really thought of before is that it's not logical because some we don't think it through before we respond to it. We respond because there's something subconscious in us that reacts to something familiar. And so, yeah, it's super illogical, which is why it's good to, to explore and to kind of get control over. I liked what it said about seasons and times of day or times of year, because I, as I believe, you know, always pretty much travel for my birthday and Christmas. I go to Tombstone, Arizona, and this is partially because I have very upsetting memories tied to both Christmas and my birthday. And I didn't really, I would not a couple of years ago, leading up to either Christmas or my birthday, really be thinking about it at all. My memories, I would try very hard not to, but then it would get to the actual day and there would be like a feeling in me. If I was alone, it would be almost like this physical sensation and kind of, I guess, just like the opposite of really what you'd want to experience on like what are meant to be the best holidays of the year. And I would sink into a very deep depression after for a number of years. And so that's why I go to Tombstone because it completely distracts me from all of that. I'm not alone. I'm kind of in my happy place, totally in my element with all of the horses. And that's what I found works for me. So I know that these days are my triggers and this is how I've worked through them. I have a few other things that I know are triggers from past relationships and from the way I was raised that I will be sharing as we go along. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, definitely. I think those past experiences, past relationships, part of this can be like big T or little T trauma, but I think another part can be, or another facet to look at can be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Like if you're in a relationship, it's like, oh, she divorced me because I didn't wash the dishes that one time. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that wasn't it. That was like the final straw that happened over the course of not listening or not being a good partner. And that was kind of the final <laughs> thing that that pushed somebody over the edge. So I think that can be another valid thing to look at is it's not necessarily that one time, that one fight, that one thing that may have happened. It can be a buildup of 
repairs, like ruptures that weren't repaired along the way. And then that's the one that sort of opened the floodgate for bigger rupture to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about, and I want everybody to listen, because if you think this hasn't happened to you, I'm guessing you're wrong. <laughs> let's talk about how our triggers can show up in relationships. Looking at our own relationship or looking at past relationships, I think it's if you take a little bit of time to dissect and, and to maybe journal, whatever it might look like for you, there are probably things that happen, fights that came up. There's often like a, like a deeper layer behind those fights that come up. I think a really good way to look at this or, or example of this is the show Couples Therapy on Showtime. And it's a fantastic show. It's a reality show, but it, it's with a relationship therapist in New York. And you get to see all of these different couples straight, same sex, whatever it is, seeing all of these sorts of fights and issues, recurring issues that come up. And it's never 100% on one side. There's usually baggage or something from both sides, from the past or from their behavior in the relationship. And it's easy to take snippets like you might see on TikTok or Instagram. You might see like 30 seconds. Oh, that person's totally 100% fault kind of thing. But as you go through the course of a season, you'll see these couples come back and their therapist is a psychoanalyst. She's looking at their past experiences and how that shows up in the, in the relationships. And so they're bringing back feelings of, of not being good enough enough or needing attention or, or being abandoned kind of thing. And those are sort of underlying cracks in their foundation that get amplified, magnified when things happen in the, the current relationship. So I, I think that's a, a great way to think about it is even if you don't have a current relationship or, or you want to see what it might look like in other relationships and maybe live a little bit vicariously through them, mm -hmm. watch a show like that and see, oh, it's it's not black and white. There's so many complex layers going on and it takes both sides to be aware of those and be willing to come to the table and address those. Um, but some of the kinds of examples you might have had in your past uh, for the listeners might be cheating or perceived cheating or being in some kind of abusive relationship in the past and sometimes in the moment we don't feel it's abusive but it might be controlling or somebody's jealous and they're using certain behaviors or certain ultimatums or maybe calling them boundaries nowadays that we had with yeah. the Jonah Hill thing but kind of rules or, or kind of ultimatums given to you and trying to control your behavior sometimes it might be something where there's a projection onto the other partner based on something they have done. So maybe in the past, a person has lied to hide behavior because they don't want it to be found out, um, lied about where they're at or engaging in behavior like smoking or drinking. And then because they have experienced needing to lie, maybe they bring that with them. And then in the future, they assume the other partner is lying or hiding something. That's interesting. This goes with cheating as well. If I've seen in some of my friends' relationships, they're dating someone who has cheated in their past, and the one who's cheated is the one who becomes controlling because they're assuming that people cheat because they have been a cheater. That's a trigger. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. could be past traumatic experiences where, where these things come from, um, whether that's more recent in, in adulthood or, or from very early childhood or anywhere in between. Could be traumatic experiences or insecurities about your weight or your appearance, where normally you would laugh at a joke and let it roll off, but maybe it hits like a certain insecurity or a, a point you're really sensitive about. That could be your, your weight or you recently lost weight or, or your parents used to comment on on things so you're really sensitive about one specific kind of language or one specific kind of talk or maybe you're you or your partner was bullied growing up and so there may be certain areas or certain subjects that are very sensitive or sore yeah that's an interesting um, one like certain words might trigger you because you were bullied growing up and you remember someone you weaponizing it against you we, we associate this with boys but girls as well if you grew up in a family um where emotions are luxuries no crying no crying in the house suck it up keep going and so we feel like we we learn to feel like our emotions are valid or our feelings are valid so we get into later in life and then it's like a pressure cooker and our emotions are bottled up for so long and then something ticks us off and, and you feel like you can't say anything but it turns into a fight maybe indirectly and, and it turns into something else but underlying that is 
I don't feel validated. My I have feelings and I, I can't express them safely. So I'm going to cause trouble over here as a way to get that energy out that won't go away. This is a wonderful segue. And I'm relating to this so much. A lot of us have triggers that are very closely tied to our family and how we were raised. And I can think of a couple just immediately. I have only recently, in the past several years, become a good communicator and become more comfortable with confrontation, in quotes. Because when I was growing up, there were such severe consequences for voicing your opinion, for standing up for yourself, for being sassy, which looking back, it was seriously just like exerting the tiniest bit of free will. So much so that for a number of years, I was so scared of an in-person confrontation that I would even have like visible and physical sensations in my mind. I'd get like a stinging sensation that was really uncomfortable and that would make me really, you know, obviously want to avoid it. And that was because, you know, I was scared because I had like a knee jerk reaction that something bad could happen at any moment if I were to stand up for myself. And so anything in person that was uncomfortable was a trigger for me for a number of years. And I will also say, as far as going back to childhood, I would come from a very large family. I'm the oldest in my family. I'm the oldest girl in my family. Yet I have four brothers. And because of various things, maybe birth order, I really never felt like any of the men in my family ever stood up for me or had my back really at all. And I had lots of friends who had brothers who did that all the time, who did stand up for them. And I was always jealous of that growing up. I always wanted one of my brothers to be my champion. <laughs> oh yeah. And so now if I have a friend or a partner who I feel doesn't have my back, that's a trigger for me. Very easy for me to pinpoint. Yeah. And then I imagine that amplifies into a bigger situation if, if you perceive something where they're not defending you or backing you up or, or supporting you. Yeah. yeah. It can make me feel like they're not loyal. It can make me lose trust. It's been something that I've tried really hard to keep an eye on. But I know that that really comes down to some of the issues I have with with people is feeling like they don't have my back because I was oh, yeah. so desperate for that for so long. And that's that's great to be able to look back and realize, oh, that's something that's a big part of me that I need to be more aware of so I can manage my relationships better with boundaries and advocating for myself. Yep. And that's a big part of why we're doing this episode. We're all responsible for our triggers and I'm responsible for that one and talking with people about it. So there's also insecurities or things that came up in past relationships. First of all, money. And Brian, feel free to jump in if you can relate to any of this. I actually put down money because this is a trigger of mine. (laughs) I was married for several years to someone who had a very, very different money story than I do and was very constantly stressed about money. A real penny pincher, kind of a cheapskate. I think I'm allowed to say that because we're divorced and it didn't end well. And I really felt burdened by that. I'm someone who works hard and enjoys spending money and wants to do things and not worry about the cost, especially if you save up, just go and do it and not talk about money all the time. And so in a new relationship, if I'm with someone who constantly refers to how much things cost and it seems like they don't have joy around doing fun things, I really, I get stressed and I don't like it. Yeah, definitely. From the male perspective, I see a lot of men who take on like the societal patriarchal provider role, whether that's like paying on dates or in a relationship, paying for everything, but they don't speak up and ask for, hey, can we split certain things or, or whatever that might be? So they end up broken up or divorced or whatever years later, say, oh, they use me as an ATM. I was just a ATM for them, right? To pay for everything. And it's like, yes, but also you created that situation where you made them dependent on you when you acted like this is the role I will perform in the relationship. So just kind of values around money and who pays for what that can be very big. And even like if you are feeling a little tight on money or your salary is maybe not where you want it to be, just kind of insecurities or, or just being a little sensitive about how things cost and being able to communicate that in a healthy way rather than lashing out over 
Yeah, that's a I good example, actually. That. Feeling insecure about maybe how much you earn or your career yeah. goals. And also family. And I put this one as well because I think that for me, again, I had a weird relationship with my in-laws and I have a weird relationship with my own parents. And so when I'm in a new relationship, I'm very like high alert to how my new partner or perspective partner is with their families because I personally would rather not be with someone who's really close with their family if that makes sense because it just triggers just so many memories and uncomfortable feelings for me yeah another one is kids and, and parenting and yeah. when you when you are a parent if some if you sense that somebody thinks you're not a good parent whether they mean it or not that can be that, that can be very triggering where if they make a comment and you feel like oh they're judging me because I'm not good enough if you if you have a little bit of insecurity or a big insecurity about not doing a good enough job or comparing yourself with others, then any slight or any offhand remark or joke might come across as an attack on you. And then that may trigger you into becoming defensive or, or becoming hurt. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense, you know, especially as single parents. I'm childless by choice, as everyone knows, but I can only imagine how hard you have to work and how much you have to show every single day. And if someone questions that or you feel that you're being judged, I can see that kind of flipping a switch for a lot of people. Yeah. Household duties. <laughs> yeah, so sharing chores and, and how clean things are. And, and that could come from family and how you were raised and just finding a, a balance of sharing whatever whatever that share looks like for the couple, whatever they decide on, but not having any assumptions. But Well, and it ties into the last thing on our list, which is arguments. And again, going back to my own life, when I was married, we would argue about the household stuff all the time. He hated doing the dishes. I, it was, and I, it's probably the thing I'd like to argue about least in my entire life, especially inside of a relationship. And it just drove me crazy that it, we, it was a conflict at all. And so, yeah, for me, when I see someone who's untidy, it immediately triggers memories of arguments that we had about the dishes. And it does make me very quickly evaluate how I want to move forward with people. And arguments are, are what cause breaks or ruptures in the relationship. But if you're living together, the money every day, family comes up all the time. If you have kids and the kids are 24 seven household <laughs> duties, or you're always in the house or the home you live in. So those are things that are constantly there. And if there are issues around those, those are going to keep coming up until you find a way to come to a compromise or whatever that looks like and get past those disagreements or incongruences in values or, or beliefs around those things. And I, that's why I would encourage people, please wait a while before you move in and flush some of this out. Brian, what do you think about attachment styles and our triggers? Yes, uh, great question. Attachment styles are pretty much at the core of our ways of relating to people and, and connecting with people and how our nervous system perceives how safe we are in that relationship with them. So secure is like in the middle. And if somebody doesn't respond for a while or, or whatever might happen, you feel like, oh, I still trust that they love me or, or that they they appreciate me, whatever that might look like. But on the opposite ends, you might have um, avoidant and anxious, and, and there's some variations within those, but basically don't want to get too close or they're running away. I, I better hold on tighter. And so those can without the self-awareness and without the tools to communicate and manage someone's feeling of security in the relationship, there's always going to be like a, a push and pull or, or like a, a tug of war on there. And so that can also be something where I need space. Why are you being so needy? I'm not being needy. I just want to I miss you. And so that can become a recurring theme for the course of the relationship, whether that's a week, a month, a year, 10 years, whatever, if the people in the relationship aren't aware and don't know how to navigate that and be able to communicate, she's feeling anxious. I need to somehow send a signal or reassure her that, they, yes, I'm thinking about her. Or on the other end. But also communicating that yeah. you're feeling anxious and letting yes. your partner know why. Yes. Yes. So so knowing and, and knowing your partner's needs and how mm -hmm. to reassure them. Um, with my girlfriend early on, we're both busy during the day and we text, we would text like every day, but sometimes it'd be during the day. She'd text me and I'd be busy in meetings and I wouldn't text her until like the afternoon. And after two, three hours, she said, 
it really makes me anxious when when you don't respond. So that was something I kept in mind. Okay, I need to reassure her by not going too long without communicating back to her. Can yeah. you please let me know and let my listeners know, because it's come up in my coaching practice quite a bit. How did she phrase it that didn't make you feel threatened and that actually made you want to show up a little differently for her? I, I don't remember exactly how she phrased it. I, I think it was, it, it goes in that model of when you do this, it makes me feel this way or or this is what happens when this kind of thing happens. It wasn't an attack. It wasn't a, you ignore me all day. That, that's very offensive kind uh-huh. of uh, violent, quote unquote, language uh-huh. in, in the terms of nonviolent communication. So it wasn't personal. It was here's an action from an objective like you you don't when you don't respond there's no judgment attached to that when you don't respond all day i feel anxious right i feel worried neglected neglected (laughs) and so if she were to say you ignore me all day i could counter i wasn't ignoring you i was busy i was in meetings and then there's an argument and doesn't address her feeling but when it's about how she feels or how the person feels so when this happens i feel this way can we try X, Y, Z so that I don't feel like this quite so often? And so that's a working together to solve the problem rather than being adversaries trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. Amazing. I'm such a fan of this woman. I am so bummed that I didn't get to hang out with her in February, but we'll, we'll make it happen eventually. Next time, next Um, time. (laughs) I am a securely attached person with a dash of avoidance, which I know you are as well. (laughs) And so for me, sometimes if I feel that someone's texting too much, which I just don't really expect people to do, I can feel just a little like tense And so I, but I know it's a trigger for me to work out. The great thing is these aren't like your attachment style isn't locked in stone. It can change over time as you go to therapy, you work on yourself, whatever it might be. You may have a more secure partner, a a better, healthier relationship, and then you gravitate more towards the secure because you feel secure. Or you may date somebody and they're very wishy-washy or hot and cold, and that may bring out some anxiety in you or be overbearing or or very love bombing or kind of every day for the first week they're texting you 24 seven and you're like, that may bring out some avoidance. So, so it can change over time depending on the dynamic of the relationship with the person. I do agree with that. And whenever I talk about attachment styles on the show, I just want to remind people that yes, these are not things that are encoded in us. The goal should always, always, always be to learn how to become more secure. Do not use your attachment styles or attachment tendencies as an excuse. Use them as opportunities to grow and learn about yourself. And my favorite resource and one of Brian's as well is the book Polysecure by Jessica Fern. It doesn't matter if you identify as non-monogamous or not, the book is all about how to grow from your attachment style and become secure and how to self-soothe. It's awesome. Go and read it. Brian, I think now we should talk about how to identify your triggers. I think that we're two people who are very self-aware and this comes as almost second nature to us. If you're not someone who's quite on the same path, (laughs) what would you say as far as encouraging people to figure out how to identify things that trigger them? Yeah, great question. I think this goes being able to recognize whether that's after the fact or in the moment stepping outside of like what's going on briefly and and notice whether this is like a normal reaction like you would have for anybody or if there are other signs. So some of the signs might be the feeling in the body. So if you're feeling flooded, which is kind of your hormones or your the body chemicals are, are getting flooded into a fight, flight, freeze, or fawn state where you're sort mm-hmm. of turns on your sympathetic nervous system, your survival instincts. And so your the parts of your brain that, that are involved with like logic and reasoning, they sort of shut down. It's sort of like Star Trek where you're putting all the energy on the front of the ship to, to defend <laughs> against the Klingons who are shooting torpedoes or or Oh, you're such a boy. That means yeah. nothing to me. Focusing defenses. <laughs> I'm, I think that uh, men who are into Star Wars are just the cutest things in the world. So I'm glad that you're using that as an example. Yeah, it's <laughs> It's basically putting more energy into a place that needs to defend. And so in that moment, you feel attacked 
by whatever kind of is triggering you and you're going into a survival state. So your, your sympathetic nervous system takes over. That might mean your heart rate goes up or your breathing changes or your maybe a little bit of tunnel vision even. If you take a moment to just stop and, and observe yourself, you're, you're sort of at a heightened state. And sometimes, like if you're in an accident or there's something going on outside, it might be like adrenaline and you might get super strength. But just kind of noticing if your body feels a little bit different, like you just ran for a few minutes or something like I think that's why I had this like zapping sensation in like near my eyes and my head when I used to be faced with an in-person confrontation is probably it was some sort of fight instinct or flight instinct. But I mean, because yeah, it affected my vision. So the fact that you just said tunnel vision, yeah, I guess that's a good example. You might notice you feel warmer, your cheeks are warmer or something. So that's, that's all like a physiological reaction. So part of that might be the freeze basically you shut down and you just stop, stop talking. You're, you're angry. So you're just going to not talk Yeah. and you shut down and, and it's kind of stonewalling or giving them the silent treatment kind of thing. Uh, the fawn state might be just kind of trying to soothe them over people pleasing or just kind of pushing your own stuff down in order to not anger them anymore, whatever that might be. But I think the important thing is taking some time to think about what do I feel like when, when that happens to me. And for you, you mentioned kind of, warmness or like kind of your vision for me, I, I can tell I, I shut down a little bit. I get kind of quiet or it might be, I can tell I'm feel bigger. Like I'm, I'm puffing my chest or I get a little bit angry and I'm a little bit sharper and I'm reacting emotionally versus like thinking about something and responding a little bit more rationally. So I can recognize those times and think things over a little bit, but kind of recognizing those situations where it happens and thinking about why why am I reacting this way? Am I reacting this way because I feel dismissed? Um, that's one of my girlfriend's big triggers is growing up, she felt like she wasn't important, her voice wasn't heard. So anytime there's a slight feeling of being dismissed or, or unimportant, where I'm not valuing or appreciating her point of view or, or whatever it might be, she has like a bigger reaction that that we deal with. So recognizing what that might be for you. And then that, that might come from looking at past times, past arguments, doing like a relationship inventory. Yeah. Tell like us about good, this. Yeah. So that I, I have on my website, a relationship inventory. You can do like during the relationship or looking at past relationships. It is useful for, for multiple things, including like, what do I want out of a relationship? And what are the patterns I'm going through with the partners I'm, I'm selecting? And what are the good things and the bad things? Avoid the bad things and search for people who have those good traits, those good qualities. But with those relationship inventory, with those kinds of questions, you can look at where, where were our incompatibilities? They treated me this way. I felt this way, or I did this to them. Kind of what were those recurring things? And maybe that's family, money, household chores, weight, aesthetic, you know, looks, fitness, whatever that might be. And if your values don't align, then you're going to get triggered more, you know, kind of generally speaking. So being able to look back and and what were common arguments or or things that came up might be processing a relationship put an end, and that's your your specialty. Yes. And I do think this is why it's really good when you go through a breakup to really take time to process what happened and maybe look back on how you showed up and what triggered you. And then when you were triggered, what you did. And that, yeah, that's why I really think there's so much value in the, the single stage of things. And what, if you can really think back and journal and maybe work with a coach or just really just think about it this is after you do some healing. You don't necessarily want to do this in the initial days after a breakup, but if you can look back and identify what triggered you, you'll be less likely to allow it to happen in the future. And again, the goal is to become more secure. Another way that you can identify your triggers is to actually get specific about what they are and what happens. Because saying that you felt triggered does not necessarily describe your experience. I mean, that really doesn't say much about what you went through. Therefore, it would be harder to identify it in the future. So instead of just saying, I feel triggered, maybe try and get clear about exactly what that means. Did you feel anxious? Did you feel shut down, angry, etc.? 
And then once you figure that out, try to get clear with yourself about why you felt that way. The Gottman Institute has some really interesting resources on working with emotional triggers. And they gave some examples as to why you might feel a certain way or why you may feel triggered. I picked some of my favorites. Some of their examples include, I felt unheard. I felt blamed. I felt uncared for. I felt like I couldn't be honest. That could be tied to some childhood shit. I felt like the bad guy. I felt controlled. That's one of my triggers. I think some others might be along the lines of, I felt belittled. Mm -hmm. I felt dismissed. I felt made fun of or incompetent, like especially for men, like feeling like you're stupid or incompetent. I guess anybody could feel that way. But um, just from my own experience and talking to other men, just feeling like you don't know how to do something or can't do something right or like you don't know about something that can be triggering or that can be like an insecurity that comes up. Yeah, no, thank you so much for those examples. I think the Gottman Institute had a list of like 30 or something. But, you know, I'm a woman and and I, I'm seeing things through that lens. So I, I really appreciate that. And those are yeah great examples, feeling incompetent. I guess that wouldn't be something that I would think of. But yeah, I guess especially for, for a man that could really bring up a lot of stuff. But even feeling stupid or having a partner who maybe talks down to you or is condescending, maybe somebody at work and you get that feeling like they think you're stupid because they're talking to you, mansplaining or whatever it might be. Yeah. I think that can come up a lot too. It's like my dad used to do this or my partner used to do this or my family used to do this to me. I'm not stupid. Don't talk to me like I'm a baby. And, and so when you hear that in your partner, you're like, you don't hear anything else because of how you feel when they're speaking, the way they're speaking to you. Totally. Two of my deepest insecurities are first, I really struggle with math. <laughs> I have my entire life and directions. I don't, I could not tell you which way is North Southwest, even though I've lived here. And whenever somebody asks me to navigate in the car, even if we're not even going very far, I get so anxious to the point of almost like irritated and angry with the person. And I, I just say like, I don't want to do this. Like, don't ask me because it just brings up so yeah. many of my insecurities around a life of trying to become, to build a better sense of direction and still not being able to. So yeah. And it does make me feel kind of dumb. Same with, Oh, I was playing a game with my friends the other day and you had to like add up your points at the end of each round and people were just like doing it in their head. And I'm sitting there like with my calculator, just feeling like so ashamed because yeah, I felt dumb. Yeah. And I think that's a, a great segue into the next section is how people react when they are triggered or somebody does bring up something that touches on a sensitivity or an insecurity and being able to say and communicate, I'm not great at math. And being able to own that and communicate that and, and and smooth things over is one thing. But if you or somebody had something similar where they deflected or turned it into a fight because they didn't want to deal with their own anxiety or insecurity or, or the things that were coming up in them, that's when it can create those hiccups, those road bumps, those ruptures in the relationship. Where did that come from? If you were masking and, and kind of deflecting or trying to attack them when you feel attacked or when you feel hurt. That's something that can be damaging to a relationship. Other kinds of things might be, I mentioned before, like shutting down silent treatment. And if you're not living together with your partner, that can mean I need some space. And then you don't text them or call them in a week. And then the other person's at home and no idea what's going on. So that right. can be very, maybe unintentionally hurtful, but can be very hurtful and, and damaging. So and that silent treatment that sometimes we we give people repairing the rupture is the important part of moving forward no matter what happens because without that you're having continual cracks in the foundation of that relationship so it might look like um, silent treatment it might look like deflection turning into an argument it might 
be about other things and not getting to the point of, okay, where did that feeling of dismissed or unheard or belittling or controlled or uncared for, where do those come from? So you have to address that. Uh, but in order to address that and repair the relationship, repair that rupture, it can be apologizing sincerely and not just to, oh, I'm sorry, you feel that way. Like a sincere apology, understanding where it come from and why the thing you said or they said caused that reaction. And if it's because of a past trauma or an insecurity, the partner, other partner understanding, oh, I didn't realize you were that sensitive because that's such a sore point for you. I will do my best to take more care in the future, not to hit that little trigger point or that little insensitivity that you may have to that kind of topic or subject in the future. Well, I think what you're saying, which is something I've been really interested in recently, is taking responsibility for the impact, not just your intention. And I think sometimes when people are in new relationships, maybe in all, all relationships, when someone becomes triggered and tries to talk with their partner about what they did that caused it, a lot of people just go into trying to explain their intention and convince the person that that wasn't what they wanted and make up excuses rather than apologizing for the impact and thinking about the impact and doing better next time. Yeah. So instead of, it was just a joke, lighten up. Yep. You're, you're too sensitive. That wasn't what I meant. That's not how, yeah. that wasn't my intention, which is. Yeah, I'm sorry you felt that way. Those are not good. Those are not good signs of a person who could be a good partner or somebody who could be a good communicator in a healthy relationship with you. And also that could be one of their things, one of their triggers or their sensitivities is I was always blamed in my house growing up. So I can't take any responsibility because it causes certain things in me. So like taking accountability, apologizing, that's like a sore spot for me, Mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, for just as an example, that could be another thing that that person has to deal with through therapy or working on themselves, taking responsibility and owning up to mistakes or mistakes weren't allowed or they got beat or there, you know, bad things happen in the house. So both sides learning to deal with those. Sometimes it, it may just need time away, like five minutes or 10 minutes. If a, if a conversation is getting heated and you can tell you're, re- you're reacting in emotion and in that sympathetic nervous system response, you can say, oh, we're not getting anywhere right now. Let's just take like a 20 minute timeout, take a deep breath. We'll come back and, and let's finish this conversation after we're both calmer. And I think that's a good thing to know is, oh, I'm feeling like this or this conversation is just going back and forth. We're going in circles. We're not hearing each other. We're not understanding each other. So to calm down, both calm down and come back. That's Rather than saying, calm down. <laughs> you don't want to do that. That's bad, bad thing to say. But um, yeah, giving yourself and the other person time to settle down, process those emotions, process the feeling and let, let that energy kind of dissipate. It might be not pushing, not rushing, like, oh, are you okay yet? Can we talk yet? Maybe they do need some more time. It might require setting up some time for a conversation to try to talk things through. Maybe you have kids or there's other things going on and you can't stop everything. You can't drop anything in the middle of that or in the middle of a work day to address something. Hey, can we just meet up and talk tonight or, or you know, set up a time to, where you can both be fully present and have that conversation? Yeah. And then actually you know, keep to the commitment. <laughs> Don't brush yeah. it off just because you're busy. And that's another really good way to build trust with your partner too, is if you say, we need to set a time to talk about this or we're both working and so we should circle back. And then actually doing it, that will, I mean, seriously, make someone melt in your mouth. (laughs) And I I think that can even be a preventative thing where you have relationship check-ins, like once once a month on Sunday during dinner or whatever that might be. Like, what are things that came up that we didn't talk about but might be on your mind or bugging you? I mentioned this before, but that apology kind of repairing looking at the authenticity of it. Is it, was there remorse? Was there empathy and understanding for the other person and what they're going through? Or were they just saying sorry to get past the inconvenience or the uncomfortable feeling of they're mad at me. I just want this to end. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say sorry, but I don't understand why and it's going to happen again. Yeah. So kind of looking at, at the quality, the authenticity of that apology. And then lastly, like knowing that you're free and within your right to consider if the relationship is one you want to continue or not based on 
if this is something that happens a lot, if they are continuing the same behavior that upsets you or is inconsiderate to you or being dismissive of your triggers, of your insecurities, whatever that might be, and, and not willing to treat you with the care and the, the love that you deserve because you, you deserve those things. And getting to the point where you are able to advocate for yourself and say, I deserve better than to be with somebody who doesn't care about those parts of me. Yeah, someone who is a prisoner to a prisoner of their past and we all have triggers and some of us deal with them in different ways and I do think in a relationship if someone does have severe triggers and is not trying to take responsibility and resolve them you do have the right to kind of sit back and consider whether or not this is something you want to take on so Brian thank you for walking us through what to do when you quote unquote trigger your partner I thought that that was a really really great list and just so everyone knows Brian and I are going to come back with another episode on difficult conversations soon and we're also going to talk about what to do when you feel triggered we're going to take a very quick commercial break and then dive into it Nothing shatters your life like a breakup. And the feeling of a broken heart is real. I know that it seems impossible right now, but there is hope and there are ways to heal. I would love to work with you one-on-one to heal your broken heart and put your breakup behind you. My personalized coaching programs are designed to pinpoint what will be most effective in helping you to move forward and make this breakup a part of your past. I believe in you. Message me at breakupspodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram at breakupspodcast and let's connect about creating a magical plan of action to get this breakup in your rear view mirror. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for all of the great information and tips so far, Brian. You are so good at this. And I'm not surprised that you're in a happy relationship. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about what to do when you feel triggered. First of all, so there's internal things that you can do and external things. Internal meaning things that you do on your own without the other person external being things that you can do with the other person. Internally, you can learn how to self-soothe and calm down your nervous system. For me, that means taking a walk, taken? <laughs> For me, that means taking a walk. A lot of the time, I sometimes like to put cold water on my face. I'm definitely someone who knows how to slow down my breathing. How do you like to self-soothe in the moment, Brian? Yeah, I first recognize that I'm feeling flooded. I'm feeling kind of activated. My nervous system is going. And breathing, even acknowledging, oh, I'm feeling activated right now. And that sort of triggers, okay, it's time to take a step outside myself and realize, okay, why am I feeling this way? Does it feel because of that person? It's because of something else going on and just acknowledging, giving myself permission to feel that way, but acknowledging that, oh, this is happening and let it pass. Let me breathe. Let me take some time to sit down. Let me think about where it's coming from. When you like speak it out loud or speak it internally, that takes away the power. It's not controlling you anymore, hopefully. So by recognizing I'm not mad at, her i'm mad i'm frustrated because i'm anxious about these other things going on that that are creating stress so i'm just more on edge and that created the situation so recognizing that where it's coming from taking responsibility for that if if you do not pause long enough to think about what you do and you do end up lashing out or behaving in a way that you regret I think taking responsibility in a relationship is one of the most powerful things that you can do. Definitely. And if you're the one that was triggered or activated, somebody said something, when you recognize, oh, I got activated, I got triggered, I'm going to apologize to you because I got a little emotional or I got 
I overreacted or I was stressed out about this other thing and that caused me to lash out at you. And so I'm going to apologize for that. And this is where it came from, my stress or the thing you said. And so they can acknowledge that. And so that's part of the repair and not not continuing down the, you did this, you're wrong, you, you owe me an apology and not taking accountability for your part in that equation. It's not who's right and who's wrong. It's we have this problem can we fix it together? Because we want to be able to continue together. It is a game changer in building trust in a relationship and having something last. I mean, it is not about who's winning and who's losing and even about who's right and who's wrong. Sometimes it's about equally taking responsibility and then moving forward, deciding how to do things differently. Yes. And when you look at the situation, look at what was said, what happened, remembering that both perspectives can be true, both their intention and your interpretation of it can be true. It can mean that they didn't mean any harm, but it could also mean that you felt harm. So both of those can be true. And so remembering that just because you feel hurt doesn't mean they meant to hurt you kind of thing. So acknowledging both of those realities at the same time, if it's you feeling suspicious that there's text coming in on their phone or that they are going to leave you or that something bad is going to happen, asking yourself, this is a feeling that I'm having. My nervous system, my my anxiety, my survival system is kicking in. What evidence do I have that something is true? If you think somebody's cheating on you, you're just getting kind of spidey senses. Do you have any evidence that they're cheating on you? Any evidence that they don't love you anymore, that they're going to leave you or, mm-hmm. or that something bad is going to happen? What evidence do you have? Recognizing that, okay, I don't have any evidence right now. I just have this feeling. I'm going to self-soothe, self-manage this feeling. And maybe ask about, maybe communicate this feeling and and investigate that, but not put on them the feeling or assuming that because I have this feeling that it must be true. So you must be doing something. That's great. So being able to be self-aware and kind of dissect that a little bit, look for evidence that whatever is true. Mm -hmm. And can you talk to us about self-compassion in this process? Yes, that's recognizing that we're all human and nobody is perfect and nobody is 100% mentally emotionally perfect and and stable all the time. And without the downs, we wouldn't have the ups. It would just be boring. So that self-compassion, that (laughs) just allowing yourself some time to feel those feelings. We're human. We feel feelings. And that's what makes us human. So you don't have to be good vibes only. You don't have to be (laughs) perfect all the time. You don't have to be happy all the time. Allowing yourself to feel sad or feel anxious or feel angry or whatever. Sit in that discomfort for a little bit and learn from that and don't push it away because it won't go away. Let it pass through you. No pressure to heal quickly. Another thing is if they said something and they're apologizing to you, accept the apology. It doesn't have to erase the thing that they did, Mm -hmm. but accept if they're authentic and and genuine about their apology, accept that they are sorry. There still may be, again, some hurt to, to deal with, but accept that if they're sorry that they they don't want to hurt you on purpose. Yeah, I like that one. So having some imagination and empathy and having that conversation, why did you say this? This really hurt me. Imagination and empathy means I can imagine from their point of view that they didn't know about this thing that triggers me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to empathize that they didn't mean to hurt me. I may be feeling this, but also I'm not going to hold it against them for not knowing about this one specific thing That's in my right. past. Yeah. So just telling yourself they didn't mean to hurt me. I'm going to be self-compassionate to feel the hurt and not push that down. But I'm going to also empathize with myself and with them that, okay, they didn't mean to hurt me. That helps settling into accepting that apology and helping yourself feel better. They didn't mean to hurt me. It was an accident. And they wouldn't do that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Especially if, if it's if, someone you want to be in a relationship with, I would genuinely hope that you would believe that this person is not trying to hurt you. Yeah. And that's a good point because if you find yourself not wanting to believe their apologies or that they don't have ill intent, maybe that's spidey sense. Maybe they want to leave and they're trying to get you to break up with them first. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you are looking for reasons to break up with them. Or maybe that's something to work on with a therapist. Like, why can't I accept that somebody loves me or didn't mean to say something? Maybe because my parents or people when I was growing up were really awful to me and I can't accept that somebody isn't like that. So I need to 
define everything in terms of, oh, everybody's awful to me. So loving yourself. So, so it could be one or any, or a combination of any of those kinds of things. Yep. And definitely pay attention to what Brian said about maybe talking with a therapist, maybe a coach, getting some counseling. Why does this keep coming up for me? And what can I do about it? Another thing is journaling. If you feel triggered and you want to overcome these things and not be a prisoner of your past, explore it. Journal about what you feel angry about. Journal about what you still feel angry about from your past. I do this sometimes for relationships that have ended and are well behind me. I will still sometimes journal when I feel something come up and just kind of list or talk to the person. Tell them why you're angry. I do this with my parents all the time. They are in my journal and (laughs) the universe knows why I'm pissed off, I can assure you. Another journaling prompt is what I would like to do differently next time is this will help you to create a new script and a new intention and a new way of showing up in your relationships. The first step is to put it out there and to actually consider in your mind what you might do differently. And then you'll, you know, you'll be more likely to do it. And again, sometimes these things just happen so quickly. It's so hard to feel that you have control over your triggers and your reactions to your triggers. But it's because we don't consider new ways of doing things long enough to actually create new habits and new ways of doing things. Because if you don't figure out a change, then you're going to keep doing the same thing over and over. But kind of mentally thinking about what could I do differently next time? I could do this or that. I could recognize I'm feeling that way and then take a step back. And not feed fuel into the argument so we could have a constructive conversation about whatever it was. I mean, either make a list or again, talk to the person. Uh, Talk to yourself and tell yourself what you'd like to do differently next time. Another way to explore your triggers and to process them and release them is the resentment inventory. (laughs) And that is setting a timer for a certain amount of time and then listing all of your resentments, either about a situation, a past partner, your current partner, and just continue going and say, I resent this because I resent this because at the end of the time, ask the universe to help you release all of your resentments. The reason why this is important is because it helps you to identify what triggers you and also clear it out of your body because first it's in your mind (laughs) and then it's in on your hand because you're writing it out and it can help you to physically process your past shit (laughs) and just to make that abundantly clear for people for me people may have kind of their own personal meaning but for me resentment is something i'm angry about frustrated about upset about that I didn't speak up about the things I'm holding in. I didn't tell, I wish I would have told my dad this, or my mom this, or my girlfriend that, or my boyfriend that, or my boss this. I think, what are you holding on to that you wish you could have said something or you wish would have been different? And so what are those things that you wish were different and and you want to let go of? Thank you for the explanation. That is such a good way of, of putting it. And you always have these tools in your toolkit. And I really encourage you, whether it's triggers with your family members or your new partners or your friends, get clear on it. It is the only way to process and release. We've talked a lot on this episode about how it's your responsibility to address your triggers. However, we're talking about two people who are in a relationship. So if you would like to involve your partner, which I would assume you would so that you can grow and evolve through this, how do you do that in a healthy way, Brian? Yes. So I'm really looking forward to our f- coming soon episode <laughs> where we're going to go super in depth on this about communication and having these kinds of difficult conversations to repair when things come up and have those active listening kinds of conversations. But just very high level, if something comes up and you want to have that kind of conversation, you need to include things like explaining the what and the why, where the reaction came from and why it's important to you. Not just that they made a, a joke about something 
your height or your weight or your looks or your job or your family or your pet. Not just that you didn't like the joke or that was insensitive to you, but where that insensitivity or that trigger or that trauma came from. I didn't appreciate that joke or that comment that you made or that person made because when I was little, this would always happen and I would feel so small, whatever it was. And that always brings back those really awful feelings. And so even though the joke you said was very small and may have seemed kind of harmless, it has a much bigger meaning to me. Sort of like an allergy. Like if you have an allergy to turmeric or something. I know there's people who hate cilantro because it metabolizes differently in their tongue. Like cilantro is just <laughs> I part love of- this topic. I'm one of the opposite. I think that cilantro is one of the most divine smells and flavors on the planet. But I know some people apparently have the soap reaction where they think yes. it tastes like soap. Yeah, like, like <laughs> the enzymes or the proteins or whatever react on their tongue differently and it tastes disgusting to them. So like that or like an allergy, it may be nothing to you, but to them, it, it has a bigger reaction because it metabolizes, so to speak, yeah. differently. Yeah. So the what and the why, where the reaction came from. Seek their understanding of your perspective. So not just saying it was bad, try to explain in a way and see if they understand why that was important to you or why that was harmful or, or hurtful to you. Mm-hmm. Seek to understand their point of view as well. So not just you focus on you. But is there anything going on with them or understand at the very minimum that they most likely didn't say that joke or that thing to hurt you? Or maybe they were being short with you or or like edgy with you because they had a bad day or they're under stress. So maybe there's a reason they were acting in that way as well. So understanding each other. Oh, I love that. Um, And that is really what healthy relationships are all about. Getting curious about your partner and your partner's experience regardless of winning an argument or coming out on top, I think that that should always be the priority. Own your reaction, including if you may have hurt them back. Like you said something, but I was really short with you or I was angry with you. You didn't deserve that either. So owning and apologizing and getting that mutual apology, mutual understanding. And then being able to ask for what you want or need. So if it's something that continues to hurt you or, or that's big for you saying, this is something that I need. Is that something we can try together to do better at? I just want to cut in here because I like what you're saying. And I just, uh, Ben, again, want to make this abundantly clear is you need to be specific. I'm in a situationship with someone and I know we've had conversations about him just doing better. (laughs) <laughs> and it's and I was speaking with a friend the other day about it and he said I mean you, ha- you you're not being specific you know like you actually really need to get clear on what your desire is and what it is that you're asking from the other person because it's a lose-lose situation otherwise yeah yeah so being able to ask for what you need and, and be willing to come to the table and do your part quick anecdote um so my my girlfriend she has ADHD and she has all these executive dysfunction and is what would just say less cognizant of and less careful with how tidy the house is. Let's just say, I, I feel anxious if there's a lot out and she understands this and I understand her difficulties with keeping on track and doing tasks and keeping things tidy, you know, what that looks like. So we work together to come up with a code word donuts so on on like the whiteboard in the kitchen we have like donuts and i would put like oh bedroom and she knows okay or i might say to her today when you have time could you work on the donuts in the bedroom and that code word makes it something other without me saying hey can you clean up the mess in the bedroom that is and that might so be a little bit clever. activating and triggering for her so we are both working with each other's sensitivities she helped me feel less anxious by cleaning up and i help her feel less kind of judged by using a word that doesn't mean, oh, you're you're a mess kind of thing. So that's what? that's just an example idea. of coming together. It could be for a topic, like you, you could say asparagus, and that means, oh, we need to talk about finances or, <laughs> or whatever it is. So coming up with a way that works for both of you, because you are partners, hopefully wanting to have a, a long, healthy, successful, loving relationship. And that means working together to address the shit that we all, all have from our past. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here today. My mind is just spinning right now. This was such good information, such a good conversation. Everybody keep your eyes on this space. 
This episode would have been twice as long had Brian and I kept with our original plan of talking about a deeper framework for having difficult conversations with your partner. So we are coming back in the next week or two with an episode on how to do that, how to get comfortable doing that, the role that you have, the role that maybe your partner has, the role that you have together as the unit. And I'm really looking forward to that. If you're listening to this because you've had a bad relationship or you've had a bad breakup, I strongly encourage you to take this time to learn how to do things differently. And it really comes down to how you commit to communicating with people. So this is going to be really valuable if you think that you would eventually like to start dating again. It's preventative. You learn how to do it before you you need it. Completely. I mean, so much of this can be done before your next relationship. It really is about doing the internal work while you're single and then taking some of these tools into the next relationship. I mean, especially if you are pushing play today because your last breakup has left you in pain that you came here. I can imagine that triggers may come up in your next relationship, but they don't have to sabotage your next relationship. Yeah. It's like taking allergy medicine because you know, you walk outside, pollen's going to hit you in the face. <laughs> you don't want to be miserable all day. You you do something beforehand to, to make it easier. Yep. I'm taking my allergy pills when I first wake up in the morning, even if I'm not sniffling, <laughs> because if I don't, I eventually start sniffling. <laughs> Brian, thank you for coming back. Thank you for being here. Thank you for all of the great information. I really hope that people pay attention. Brian is someone who's in you know, a healthy, happy relationship, and this is how you do it. Thank you so much, Janice. It was a pleasure to be here today and have this wonderful conversation. And I look forward to our, our next session and talking about having those difficult conversations, how to repair Uh, those ruptures that come up inevitably in relationships. Inevitably is right. I think you're a very, very great example of a man who's not only in this space, but who's conscious and intentional in his life and in his relationship. So I appreciate having you here. All right. I'll see everyone next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On with Janice Formicella. I sincerely hope that you found today's episode inspirational or useful. I would love to support you on your healing journey. All you have to do is send me a message on Instagram at breakupspodcast or email me at breakupspodcast at gmail.com and I will be in touch to get you started. Remember, if you are struggling with a broken heart, your feelings are temporary. I am sending you so much love and luck for the week ahead. You've got this.